0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: One of my sons, when he was first starting school, he must have been about six years old. We'd just moved to a new area, so it was a new school. And every day he was crying. Did not want to go to school, did not want to go into the classroom. He was really, really anxious. He was anxious over the fact that all the children were really interested in where he'd come from... And
2: he didn't like the attention. He felt that he was being crowded. My youngest son is six years old and he's completely terrified of having his photo taken. And he recently had the school photo day and I didn't order any photos for him because I knew he didn't want to have his photo taken and I didn't realise that they had a policy to take a photo of every child just in case you changed your mind afterwards. And he said they got me to sit down and they asked me to smile at the camera And then they took a photo and then I ran screaming into the corner.
3: (laughs) When I have anxiety, I feel like, well, I got electric shocked by an electric fence the other day and I thought I was just having a little anxiety attack and I I was confused for a few seconds because, like, I'm fine right now. What's go- Why am I having an anxiety attack? I wasn't having an anxiety attack. I was being electrocuted. <laughs> um, so like that, I feel it's like kind of your heart goes like... Argh!
0: Anxiety can be completely normal, but sometimes it can be really scary when your chest tightens and your face goes flush and you have a head full of crazy, irrational thoughts. Just... Imagine how much scarier that would feel to a child. I'm Maggie Dent and I want to talk to you about one of the biggest problems our young children and people are facing today as a result of our crazy, busy, connected lives. Anxiety. talk to parents all the time about the kinds of issues that keep them up at night. And the biggest worry for a lot of our parents is anxiety. Everything from little ones clinging to their mum or dad at school drop-off to teens having daily panic attacks. So what's happening inside your child's brain when they feel anxious? Well, we're going to learn how to recognise the signs And we're going to brush up on the ways that you can talk to kids about it. Because trust me, you should be talking to your kids about anxiety. So that next time those big feelings come up and they're in that scary moment, you've already taught them some of the skills and strategies so they can manage it or conquer it. A good place to start is Hey, Sigmund. It's a website that explains the science of psychology. Karen Young has developed it and she has also written a couple of books for children to help them understand anxiety. Karen, what's going on? Seriously, why is anxiety so much more prevalent than it used to be?
4: So I think the first thing we need to understand about anxiety is it's a really normal response. Everybody gets anxious on some level, some of the time. But what is happening, and you're absolutely right, it's amplifying and it's it's intruding into the, the day-to-day lives of our kids and teens. Probably one of the biggest thing for little ones is there's less playtime, there's more structure, they're busier. The thing about play and being able to just get out there is it's how kids practice staying safe and it's how they are able to practice pushing themselves right up against their limits until they feel that sense of risk and and a little bit of that safe danger knowing whenever they want to they can pull back they're getting less of that they're getting less of that and that's okay it's just the way we live but we need to be able to um, manage that and, and manage the things that come with that like anxieties as well as that, we've got for our teens, things like social media. Social media in itself can be a really great thing. So I'm absolutely not down on social media, but there's, there's the, the comparisons and the missing outs and, the, um, and, and you know, bullying is so much easier for our teens. So there's a lot of things going on in, the modern, in, in our modern lives and, in, and for this generation. And, look, I think they're doing a great job dealing with it. They're amazing, but they are also facing a lot more. And I think one of the things too is parents are more involved and more vigilant now and in a funny way that can make it worse because we want things to be right for our kids and we're really tuned into them and really connected to them so when they're anxious and when they're getting upset we're getting anxious that's how it's meant
0: to happen that's what great parents do mm. but we just need to know when to pull back okay so let's go really to the basics what what happens in our brain mm. and then in our body when anxiety takes hold give us the lowdown All right. I think this is one of the most important things for kids and
4: parents to understand because when you can understand how the machine works, you can understand why you have to do the things you do to manage it. So anxiety comes from a part of the brain called the amygdala. It's at the back of the brain. It's a really small part of our brain and its whole job is to keep us safe from threat. So it scans the environment. That's what it does constantly scanning, scanning, scanning. When the amygdala thinks there's a threat, it will surge us with a bunch of neurochemicals, a special body fuel, that's how I describe it to kids, to get us into superhero mode. So faster, stronger,
0: more powerful, more alert, more able to deal so with the things. Sometimes that's cortisol, sometimes adrenaline, adrenaline. sometimes neuroadrenaline. Yeah. Yep.
4: All of those juicy neurochemicals. Yep. And that's how it's meant to work. That's how the fight or flight response is meant to work. When we were in the beginning of humans, when we were just dealing with predators or other people, that was perfect. And it was probably the anxious ones who were the leaders of the tribe because they would sense something and they would run. Now, the problem is in our modern world, the things that count as threats are fear of missing out, fear of being separated from a loved one, humiliation, um, making a mistake. And those psychological threats, they're very real and they're very powerful. But if there's nothing to fight or flee, that neurochemical fuel builds up. And that's why we feel the way we do when we have anxiety. So I think it's really important for kids and parents to understand that all of those physical symptoms that you get, so sick tummy, jittery muscles, clammy hands, sore head, all of those things are there for a really good reason and it actually means your brain and your body is doing exactly what it's meant to do, but it feels bad. And it's like it's a false alarm, you know, that's what the amygdala does. So it's not a broken brain, it's an overprotective
0: brain. That's a really, really important thing, yes. isn't it? So every parent here again is just one being too enthusiastic yes. about keeping us safe. Yes. Yeah. And, of course...
4: We also need to understand that so that we're able to move them towards being brave rather than scooping them up, which is what we want to do as parents, but it's just not good for them. Um, When we understand what's going on, we can start moving them forward to being brave rather than pulling
0: them back. Some um, symptoms of anxiety that that you may miss, and sometimes Mm. they're really crazy things, and obviously having been... In classrooms a lot, I could see this as well as in adolescence, but particularly that silliness sometimes can yeah. be a form. Um, inability to concentrate and sit still can be a form of it. Um, perfectionism, where we get really upset if it's not good enough, those sorts of things also. And Sometimes temper tantrums are being driven. Absolutely. By a heightened level. So it's almost like the nervous system is already, like mm. you said, it's getting too enthusiastic, so therefore there's not much room before it does tip over. In- yes,
4: Aggression and anger and tantrums are a big one because it's fight or flight. So we're really familiar with the flight, which is avoidance or silence or shutting down. But there's also fight, and that's to get us ready to fight a threat. Now, when all of those neurochemicals are in there, remember they're moving us towards action. The other thing that happens is the amygdala is also in charge of big emotion. So when anxiety is high, there's going to be tears possibly, there's going to be big anger and it's all anxiety. And if we respond to this as anger or as naughty behaviour, we're missing the point and we're missing a really solid opportunity to actually
0: give them what they need, help them understand and help them move into brave behaviour. What sorts of things are you now teaching children so that by the time they get older, they've already got a bit of a way of mastering, Mm. A, an understanding of what this is, but B, what can I do to possibly be braver and, and to overcome anxiety? The first thing is when
4: they understand that anxiety is safe, that they're not actually in danger, that they're not broken, that it's actually their brain looking after them, that It's the amygdala, like a fierce warrior trying to look after them. Then we've got that thing that we can work with. And we say things like, so what does your amygdala need to hear in those situations? I've got this. I'm okay. I can do this. And that's their brave talk. And so what we get them to do is have that on the mirror where they brush their teeth or under their pillow, somewhere where it's there all the time, so that they can have that as an anchor. And it just has to be a quick hit, a quick phrase, because they don't have time to process too much, the biggest thing they can do is strong deep breathing. Mm. Because the first thing that happens with anxiety is your breathing goes out, knocks the carbon dioxide and oxygen out, strong deep breathing brings it back. It also activates a nerve, which reverses that whole process of anxiety. So if they can do belly breaths, And we need to teach them to to try this when they're calm. That's the that's the big thing. Because if you tell someone to calm down when they're anxious, (laughs) it doesn't work. work. No, and they get cross (laughs) and frustrated. I've been there. (laughs) So it needs to be something that they can do and we can make it fun. You know, we can make it fun for them. So before you go to sleep, pretend you're holding pizza or hot cocoa, smell it for three, hold your breath in one, blow it up for three. And it's just a visual cue so that and, and the way we say it is it's like speaking straight to your amygdala and saying, I've got this, you can yes. calm down now, we're yes. okay here. And we don't want them to be scared of their anxiety because it's almost like we need to imagine them sitting cross-legged on the floor with their amygdala saying, we can do this, we're okay, we've got this. And if they're scared of their anxiety, it'll just, it'll escalate. So they need to be in charge of it. So breathing and having them understand how it all works is really important.
0: You know, there are developmentally normal ones aren't there and I know that being scared of the dark and I was really, really sure, I lived on a farm that there were large like kangaroo dogs that used to roam around. So I was terrified they were going to come in through the window. So I love the fact that my dad, without any of this wisdom, and sort of sat with me and talked to me about, look, how about we tie a string to the window latch and tie it onto the bed because the dog won't be able to pull that. And oh. I can tell you that strategy immediately made me less yes. anxious because it had cancelled out the fact it can get in the house. Yeah, And I think at times, you know, if your child says there's a monster in my bedroom, we just get the biggest torch we've got and we we explore every single corner because yes. it's an irrational fear for a young child. but. We don't go. Don't be silly. Don't be no. ridiculous. We check it out and say, "No, no monsters here today." And we may have to do that. Karen might be quite a few Absolutely. times before they realise, "Nah, there's no monsters in my Yay. room." So, developmentally normal yep. kind of fears and act that create anxiety. We're not supposed to get worried about that. But when do we get to the point where we go? Yeah, this one's got a bit more problematic. How Mm. how does a parent tell the difference?
4: Something becomes a problem when it's causing a problem. So when it's getting in the way of not going to school, when they're really not sleeping or when they're sleeping in your bed all night, that's when it's becoming a problem. When they're so scared of choking, they're not eating. When they're so scared of something happening to you, they won't leave your side. That's when it's a problem. And that's when we probably need to do something about it. But I mean, the thing, I do get a lot of parents saying, you know, my child won't talk to relatives or my child is really upset about going to school. That's all okay. Yeah. And they're still getting used to the world. Their threat sensors are high. They're cautious kids. And it'll it'll come. What we need to do is keep encouraging them to be brave. But when it's really getting in the way mm-hmm. and when it feels like it's a bigger thing... Than us, and when it's really getting in the way of friendships or school or you know, healthy sleep or eating, that's when it's a bigger deal.
2: My daughter has had a fear of uh, lightning and thunder ever since I can remember. She really gets tense. I've taken a lead from my wife because I didn't know quite what to do, but we mostly have her come into the bed, lots of cuddles. And lots of support.
1: We had a conversation with the teacher. So she organised for him to actually come in one day and do a show and tell so that he could tell them his story and then he wouldn't get harassed so much, so to speak, because he was feeling like he was being harassed. Not in a bad way. The kids were just curious. It was all about listening. It was all about recognising that his anxieties were real and just because he's a boy doesn't mean that he can't get upset, that he can't get scared about things. And giving them strategies and options to be able to work through that.
0: Parents often ask me, do we force our children to do something that they're really anxious about, like going to soccer practice or swimming lessons? Do we, do we force them? The thing
4: about anxiety is anxiety can generalise into things. So it might start with soccer. Then what it's saying to the brain is um, anything you do with strangers and without your mum is actually probably risky. That counts as school, that counts as birthday parties, that counts as seeing grandma on the weekend. So the risk is that it can generalise. So what we want to do is we don't want to encourage their avoidance, because the brain builds pathways. And so every time we encourage avoidance, that's building that avoidance pathway. And it's saying to the brain, the only way you can stay safe is to avoid. At the same time, we don't want to force them ahead because that can also um, turn upside down, but we can do both. So what we want to do is catch them really lovingly and say, you know, I can see that this is really big for you and I can see this feels scary and I know you can do this. So how about you do two yeah. and then tell me and give them an exit because anxiety's, you, yeah. anxiety needs an exit. And if we just say things like, oh, there's nothing to worry about, don't worry, it actually makes anxiety worse because the amygdala goes, whoa, she doesn't get it. She actually is only saying this because she doesn't know how much danger and yeah. she can't see it. We need to encourage them forward to brave behavior, but do it lovingly.
0: When I was counselling, there were a couple of other little, I know it sounds like tricks, but with younger children, they've got such beautiful imaginations that mm. um, they had to choose a brave stone out of my little crystal belt. And it was quite often strong colours, quite often red and, you know, black. So in other words, they looked for something that had that strength in yeah. it, popped it in their pocket and every day, any time they weren't feeling brave, they'd grab hold of it and imagine the colour would come up into their head and calm down their amygdala or go into their heart. And it was really interesting that it didn't take very long before they built a new pathway yes. of coping. Yes. Yeah. And then the other one was to pretend they had on that colour undies because they, they were their power undies. Yes. Because their imagination is real to them. What things yeah. in a home environment can help our children kind of have that sense of this is a safe base, this is a safe world, therefore I've got more energy possibly to deal with things that might frighten me. Let them know that for 10 minutes a day they've got you, just you all of you,
4: because what can happen is we get so busy and we think we're talking to them while we're driving and we are, they're all important. Or we think we're with them while we're stirring spaghetti in the stove, but we're actually not. So what we need to do is have that 10 minutes where they're actually in charge and they can direct play or they can pick the story or do whatever it is. And we are there just for them. And if that can be predictable, they know that however curly their day goes, they've got you for this 10 minutes. And having as much, if you can, have routine. If you can let them know that this is what we do at bedtime or this is what we do on on Sundays or at dinner or this is what your 10 minutes looks like that can be really helpful because anxiety is a future thinking brain so if when they're thinking about their future they're going oh no she's got that covered we've got this covered that can really help.
2: Uh, When my daughter was about 16 she started having panic attacks at school uh, so we had some meetings with the school and we went and got a mental health care plan through our GP and she started seeing a local psychologist. I think she did really well working through that anxiety and we looked at a quite a few different techniques, going to yoga, you know, having the counselling. But for me as her parent, it was very hard to understand because I don't... Have any experience with with mental health issues or with anxiety in particular? So I just couldn't understand it. Um, So I felt a little bit like she was out on a boat all by herself, drifting along, having to figure it out for herself, which would have been really difficult for her.
0: So anxiety in our little ones, Karen, is already tough. We know that, especially when it you know becomes an ongoing problem. But the rates of anxiety in adolescents and teens, that really has me worried. We've known for a time anecdotally that these numbers are increasing. Um, However, now we've got even more quality studies that are showing us the evidence that our teens are struggling with more anxiety than ever before. The Mission Australia One, the longitudinal study of Australian children reflect this increase. So in adolescence, Karen... There are so many stressful changes, physical, hormonal, emotional, cognitive. So that causes stress. But how different is anxiety for our preteens and our teens with all these changes going on? This is also a time where they're pulling away from Mm -hmm. their parents and they
4: have to do that. They have to do that. Biologically important. Yes, Yes, because we don't want (laughs) 40-year-olds living at home who can't look after themselves. Even 30. Yes, exactly. Now. First of all, I say to parents is don't believe the hype that your kids don't need you and don't want you. They absolutely do. They actually need us more than ever. They just don't want to be controlled by us. And we have to let them go. They've got to discover some things and, you know, experiment with the world. But at a time when all of this is happening in their brain and their anxiety for so many reasons can really ramp up during adolescence and they're pulling away from their support system, what we need to do is stand guard. And just watch and just have the door to us open always and always on their terms. You know, it'll probably be 10 o'clock at night when they want to talk to us or it'll... It, it won't be at, you know, probably six o'clock in the morning, but it'll be on their terms and, and when they do and, and really listen to them. So we move from this directing them less. The other thing that's really big for adolescents, and this is where anxiety comes in, is they need to know we can cope with everything they tell us.
0: That's such a good point.
4: So if where they're going, but did you have anyone to sit with at lunchtime or have you got your schoolwork done? They can feel our anxiety and so they're less likely to come to us because they don't want to add to that and they don't want to have to deal with our anxiety or our feelings or our worry. So what we can do, and inside we might be bubbling away with it and really, you know, worried about what's happening to them, but we need to be this strong, steady base that they can come to.
0: Kindness is a really powerful tool in Mm. um, living with um, teens because it's really almost counterintuitive to what you feel that they should get, and they've been a little bit yucky. For sure. Because they are struggling. Yeah. And that's a really simple thing to do. I had one trick. If, if I'd had a you know unpleasant moment with one of my sons, about a half an hour later I would go down and knock on their door and please make sure you always pause before you go in um, and go in and I'd probably pop up a cup of Milo. And a home baked cookie and shove the dog in and then come out and close the door because they don't want to talk right now because words aren't always easy, particularly even for boys, but they're still coming down because often they don't feel good after they've had that moment. So I don't wanna add to that. I want to be able to subtract from that. And that gesture says, Hey, we're okay. Yeah. I've still got you.
4: Absolutely. But no words so important. Because the other thing is I think they're good kids. They do this stuff. They're being bit driven by a brain in overdrive. Now, they still need to know that's not okay, but they want to know that you and I are okay. Yeah. So and I you still love me when yeah, I can't love me. Exactly. And so we need, and that's a beautiful way to open the door is just, you know, passing into the cave.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> of course, what we want to say is, how dare you? That was disrespectful. We don't want that in this house. And guess what that does? Just loads up the cortisol, yep. makes them feel even less connected to us, which is really the safe base yeah. they need. So it's a yeah. A really big one. Now, lots of adults live with mental illness as well, and lots of parents struggle with anxiety in our you know crazy world. So it's not just children. Are children more likely to kind of develop it if they th- that's kind of home? Possibly, possibly. So, yeah.
4: But it, it's not a given. No, so our genetics aren't a given, and our environment's not a given. If we're aware of it, definitely anxiety can be managed, and definitely. Any, even if both parents have really severe anxiety, even if a a child is genetically wired towards anxiety, it's an opportunity. They can learn to manage it and develop those skills that actually, I will say, we all need. We all Mm. need these skills of of regulation and being brave and courage and resilience. They've just got more opportunities to learn it, and they can go on and be really brave strong, powerful adults. So it's it's something
0: that we can manage and we can change the course of Beautiful. it. I'm a lot of parents glad to hear that. Mm. Now the other thing too is there's a bit of confusion out there about whether I should talk to my own children um about my anxiety and my stress moments. And I actually think it's really important for kids to see that we sometimes struggle with big ugly feelings and we struggle with stress. So is it okay for us to talk about anxiety with our it's, with our kids, It's more than okay.
4: It's actually important. We need to do that because there's two things I hear from teens. This is such a strong thread, I can't even tell you. One is, I thought I was broken. I thought there was something wrong with me. The second one is and no one understands, there's no one to talk to about it. So you imagine feeling all of these things, and as soon as you say, but it's anxiety, there's a name for this, and we all feel it, and the relief that washes over them, I feel it, I actually felt it before this talk, big time. So it's really important that we talk to them about it, because the thing is, anxiety is okay, we're okay. What we need to do is it's things like, I'm just feeling a bit wired and I'm feeling anxious and I know I'll be okay. In our house, normally it revolves around, I'm feeling really anxious, I'm going for a walk. And that's what the kids do now. They know if they'll go out and kick a ball or they'll go for a run or they'll do something with activity. It's really nice when you hear the things you say to them coming back at you. So I think that's the other thing it does. They realise that we feel anxious and we're okay and we've got this yeah. and so it's okay for them to feel anxious too and even more importantly, it's actually okay for them to come to us and say, I saw this thing on Facebook and everyone was having a party and I missed out and it's just made me feel like rubbish. We're human and they can reach us then because they know that we know how it feels so we're not speaking from this heady space because we've been sad before or we've been anxious before or angry before but we've got this.
0: I also think um, really important is that when we start school at the beginning of the year, this is a time that our kids, all of our kids are going to feel a bit anxious. So beginning new things, mm. having a test, mm. having some friendship problems are absolutely normal ways yes. that we're going to experience what we call normal anxiety. Yeah. And it's. It, I think when we, then they know that, you know, I've got a, something to do, a presentation to do at work or something, so I'm a bit anxious today. Yeah absolutely normalises it for our kids. Mm, mm. And what I find is when our schools recognise that and can do some mindfulness before the test, we can make such a difference.
3: I always, I always, always had it. Like, I think ballet is probably when that began. I would just have, like, full-on freakouts in the car and, like, cry and feel like I was going to throw up and just, just, yeah, completely melt down. And, like, my parents didn't really, like, my dad especially was... He just didn't understand and he would be like, go, like, there's nothing for you to be afraid of and was he couldn't understand why his children were so, like, cowardly, I guess. When I started college, the first week of college, for like a week, I had sort of three panic attacks a day. Every time I tried to walk into a class, I would get like halfway through the door, my whole body would freeze and I would like lose all the feeling in my arms and I couldn't move. <laughs> until someone, like, looked at me funny and I had to, like, run away.
0: Now, how can a parent of a teen or even a preteen work out when a teen's anxiety has moved from normal Mm. to problematic? Mm. We'll probably find they're different with us anyway.
4: So they're probably more withdrawn from us. They might be grumpier with us. Um, They don't come to us as much. But the thing to look at is what are they like with other things in their lives? So are they still doing the things that they enjoy do they go to soccer practice and still light up do they are they wanting to catch up with their friends or are they just sullen and withdrawn from everything and that's what we need to look for and it can be really difficult and i and i really want to validate that it can be really difficult mm. because it does normal teen behaviour can't, there is a withdrawal that's from us, but there's not a withdrawal from everything. I mean, there's also bigger emotions in in adolescents, so that's not necessarily a giveaway. It's more how much is it getting in the way of their lives and how much of their lives are changing. So what can be helpful is actually naming what we see. So I notice that you are in your room a lot more these days, and that might be okay that's there. There might be absolutely nothing going on. I just want to make sure that that's all okay for you, and that there isn't something going on, and see what they say. And they might say, "Just no, just no, I'm fine." But you've lit the fuse. You've you've lit the spark, and then do it. Just you know, keep on with that. So you don't want to push them because we'll push them away, and they will you know, they will withdraw even more. But it's just flagging that every, you know, maybe then the next weeks, just just raise it again. I find a really good time to talk to teens is just before they settle to bed because there's no noise and the world is still. If we go to them at four o'clock in the afternoon when they're in the middle of a Facebook chat or when they've got an assignment that's due tomorrow, even if the world was falling down around them, they're not going to bring us in. So we do have to pick our moment and just, you know, touch them on the leg and say, hey, I just wanted to check how you're doing and, you know, I'm always here for you. And it's really just leaving the door wide open. We can't do more than that. We just have to make sure that door is wide open so that
0: it's easy for them to step through. I um, found one other way too and that was to um, check in with the friends mm. and just, you know, once again saying, look, just no big deal, but is, what's going on out at school and when we catch up? Because I find friends, when you actually ask that, they're often more worried about their friends than they are themselves. Yeah. And often they're, you know, good friends. They really watch out for them.
4: They do. And yeah. I think
0: that's that's another pathway for us to get a bit of feedback. Mm. You can also obviously contact a school and, you know, see if that's, is anything changed. Yeah. So who are the best professionals to seek help? Do we go to a GP and have a mental health assessment done? What are your suggestions mm. if you've got a parent, a kid that says, no, look, I am struggling a bit? I say a, a counsellor, a psychologist, a school counsellor. Sometimes they don't
4: like it being associated with school, but a counsellor, a psychologist. One of the things I'm wary of with GPs is medication. Medication can be helpful as long as it's done with therapy because we still have to teach them the skills to manage it. And what medication does is it opens those pathways ready for them to create new pathways. So there has to be something going on as well. My fear with just going to a GP, and I've seen this happen, is it's just medication and that doesn't work. There is absolutely a place for that. I'm certainly not down on medication. There is absolutely a place. Short-term, while therapy is going on, it can really help those new skills to be learned, but it has to happen that way. So I think a a counsellor or a psychologist is a good place to start. And if a psychologist thinks that medication is important,
0: they'll refer you. And so what happens with the parents who can't afford to pay for that? Because it is a challenge, isn't it? Yeah. And I do get that. I get, I get a lot of emails
4: about that. You know, we, we just can't afford to get them help. What I want to say is in the meantime, there's a lot parents can do. There's actually um, new research um, that's just come out and it's all about the parents. Because if we can give the parents the strategies, it's like if I was having a dinner party, I don't need a chef. I just need the information and then I can do it. So, yes, some kids need more support, but if that support is out of reach or if it's too far down the track, parents are so powerful, so powerful, and there's a lot of resources. And there are
0: some really fantastic online sites that you can now go to and parents and teens can find good information from. So Youth Beyond Blue is a goodie. Um, Brave, Reach Out. We've got Parent Helpline. That one has been given massive more funding because of how many children Mm. and ringing. Kids Helpline. And... of course, Lifeline. Mm. So we know that it's out there and you can ring up those numbers and get some great suggestions and advice if you are pulling your hair out. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So it turns out anxiety is not all bad. It is our hardworking brain's way of helping to keep us safe. It's just when it becomes irrational and it inhibits our ability to go about our normal lives, that's when it becomes problematic. As a parent, you can help your child create the positive, feel-good neurochemicals that can help our precious kids feel happy. Prioritize family rituals that build a warm connection. Remember, that's the first biggie that can trigger anxiety, so it's a really easy place to start. Things like welcoming and farewell habits, lazy Sunday breakfasts together, walking the dog, watching clouds or stars all together. Then need to have some more fun with your family. Be a bit more ridiculous. Dad, get that tiara on. Mum, do a monster chase. Or maybe a well-timed small fart next to your son. It really does help reduce that pesky cortisol, even with a grumpy teen. Listen to your own early warning system, your gut feelings, as you know your kids best. I mentioned a lot of websites that can help you or your teens if they're struggling with anxiety. And don't forget, in a crisis, you can always call Lifeline on 13 11 14. If you want to find out more about anxiety, particularly in our girls, pop back into the last season and listen to our episode on how to raise girls. My dear friend and colleague Steve Bedoff and I talk about what's making our girls so anxious and how we can help them through it.
2: It's definitely a problem. One in five girls in the Western world will spend some time in her teens on anxiety medication or depression medication. And so what I'm starting to point out to people is I think kids improve when they can be activists about something that upsets them.
0: That's How to Raise Girls. And you can find that and all of our previous episodes if you hit subscribe on your ABC Listen app or other podcast apps like Apple and Google. And if you have a smart speaker, don't forget, you can listen through that too. Next time on Parental as Anything, we're going to talk about self-regulation.
1: Every single child is different. What's a negative stress for one child may be a positive for another. You have to find out what is overloading your child. Now, let me add another complication. The little buggers are changing
3: on you all the time.
0: (laughs) They are. That's next parental as anything with me, Maggie Dents.